Appreciate uh, Drew leading us in that song. I think we can all uh, identify with the sentiments of that song from time to time in our life. If you have your Bible with you, I would invite you to open to the Psalms this morning, to Psalm 30, is where we will be studying uh, together here in just a moment. Uh, I think I've mentioned to you before, but if I haven't, I keep a uh, spreadsheet of uh, sermons that I have preached ever since I started preaching back in college of uh, every sermon and the place that I preached that, the date that I preached that. And uh, every couple of months, I kind of go back and, and look at that to remind myself of things that I have spoken on and maybe things that I haven't, uh, just so I don't uh, become uh, too monotonous, I guess. And we have a good variety of, of uh, scriptures to look at and to think about. But as I did that this past week, I noticed that it's been, I think, over three months since we looked at a psalm. I know last week in our nine o'clock session, as we did our song, scripture, and prayer service, that we uh, spent quite a bit of time in that particular uh, assembly reading from the psalms, but we didn't make a whole lot of comments about those. And so um, I'd like to get back to the psalms this morning and to look here at Psalm 30. So let's read that psalm together. Psalm 30, beginning at verse 1, uh, David, the writer here, says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. O Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Obviously, if you have uh, in your Bible, as I do in mine, an inscription that is given at the beginning of uh, this particular psalm, the, the writer is David. I don't know exactly uh, what the circumstance was in David's life when he wrote this psalm or what caused him to write this psalm. I don't know exactly what period of his life this psalm was written. If you do have an inscription, mine has a song at the dedication of the house. Uh, in doing some reading about that, there are some people who think that David wrote this as maybe he was making preparations for the temple to be built. Of course, David uh, wasn't involved in that building project himself, but we might remember from his life as it's recorded in the Old Testament that he made preparations for his son Solomon to build the temple and perhaps... Uh, thanking God and praising God on that occasion. Some people think that it is maybe after his own personal house, the king's palace, if you were, if you will, 
was built, and so he was dedicating that and thanking God and praising him for that. We're not really given any information about that. I don't know which one it is, or maybe it's something else. But this seems to be a very important occasion. But as we look at this psalm this morning, I want us to look at it from the standpoint of what this psalm teaches us about suffering, and particularly not just suffering, not just to think about it from the negative side, but to think about it from the point of view of suffering that has turned to joy. I don't have a PowerPoint this morning because we're pretty much going to stay here in Psalm 30 and just pull some things out of this psalm. I think we may have one or two uh, scripture references elsewhere. Uh, But as is always the case, if you ever want my notes, uh, you're glad to to have those uh, if you want to, to study this again on your own. First of all, I want to think about David's circumstances that as he writes this particular psalm, and of course, as is the case with many of the psalms of David or even other psalmists, but particularly David, as he writes about things that he experienced in his own life, he's writing it after the fact. So he's looking back on a time when he was suffering in his life, and it seems like this wasn't just a period of suffering, but this was a near-death experience. Notice here again at verses 1 through 3. He says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. This is a time in David's life when his enemies were pressing in hard against him, when his enemies were looking for an occasion that they could rejoice in his downfall, that they could rejoice that he was suffering in some way. That could fit a lot of different times in David's life, couldn't it? That could have fit the time before David was actually uh, king over Israel and Judah when Saul was still reigning as king and uh, David is running around with his men. Uh, He knows that uh, Saul is looking for him, that that he has a bounty on his head. This could be during the time, as we've spoken of recently in in Cody's class on Sunday morning, about Absalom, his son, and David being run out of Jerusalem. And David, once again, has a bounty on his head and he is fearful for his life. But whatever it is, This is a near-death experience. He says again at verse 2 that he cried to God for help and God healed him. Even more so in verse 3, that God had brought up his soul from Sheol, that he had kept him alive so that he wouldn't go down to the pit. If you notice down in verse 9, he talks about this idea of the pit again. He says, what profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit. And then again at verse 11, that you have turned for me, talking again to Jehovah, for me, my mourning into dancing, you have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. So we may not know exactly again what is going on in David's life, what particular time period this was of David's life, but he is experiencing very dire circumstances. He is one who needs healing, whether that is physical healing from some physical illness or sickness or disease that he has, whether that's spiritual healing that maybe he's not physically sick, but he just needs that spiritual healing. He needs his soul revived and refreshed. He needs someone to lift him up, he says. That, that's the idea, really, uh, the image of a bucket that is uh, down in a deep well. And he needs someone to draw that bucket up. He he feels like he is in this pit. He says here that he was very sure that he was headed for Sheol. He was headed for the grave, if you will, or the realm of the dead. And he was about to go down to the pit again. That's the idea of being imprisoned in some way or going down into a cistern or into a well. 
I think he's just saying in all of those terms that he, at this point in his life, is in uh, the midst of despair, and he knows that death is even near. And as he writes here, he was near death, and he was convinced that had God not intervened and had God not healed him, that he would have died. He knows, again, verse 3, that you have kept me alive so that I would not go down to the pit. I don't know about you, maybe it's kind of hard for us to read those words and relate ourselves to exactly what David is experiencing. I don't know, probably most of us have never come close to death, I would assume. But some of us have probably had some similar thoughts that David had as he's dealing with this difficulty in his life. It may have been a time when we were very sick, when we were dealing with some kind of, uh, maybe it was an infection that had, had gotten into our body. Maybe it was some kind of life-threatening illness or disease that we had experienced. It may have been an accident uh, that we have been involved in, that, that uh, we have suffered physically from that particular accident. But even when we suffer in other ways, maybe we are on the verge of financial disaster. Maybe as a lot of people, it seems like here in the last few years and even just here in the last month or two, a number of uh, big companies in our, in our country have started laying off not just hundreds, but thousands of people. In fact, there was just here a couple of weeks ago a uh, furniture company that uh, started in uh, northeast Mississippi in Tupelo. That's a big uh, uh, big furniture uh, industry there in Tupelo, uh, but also some uh, jobs that this company had in North Carolina and California. And I think there were like 2,700 employees that got a text in the middle of the night two days before Thanksgiving and said, you're out of a job. <laughs> that, that seems to be happening all over our country right now. So it may be other ways that we are suffering. Maybe we ourselves have not had to deal with some sickness, but we've had a sick child there's just a number of things that we deal with in our life. And sometimes in those occasions, we begin thinking to ourselves, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. I don't know how I'm going to survive. Or we even think like, this may be the end for me. Maybe we have gotten some kind of sickness and it is just hung on and we have suffered with that for, month, for weeks or months. And we think, I don't know if I'm going to come out of this. I might die. And in those times, we need to be like David. We need to think about the attitude that we ought to have toward God, the attitude that we ought to have toward life, the attitude we ought to have toward ourselves, the attitude that we ought to have toward other people around us. So that's David's circumstances. He is near death, or at least he's convinced that he is probably about to die. I want us to think next about David's attitude before he suffered, while he was suffering, and then after he came through that suffering. So thinking about his attitude, perhaps before he suffered, look at what he says here in verse 6. He says, Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. Again, this is kind of a vague statement. David doesn't give us a lot of details about this. He doesn't tell us what was going on in his life, maybe during a time of prosperity. But it seems very evident to me, at least, that at some point in his life, presumably in the days before he went through this particular suffering that he's describing in this psalm, that David had maybe a self-confident attitude about life. He may have had an independent attitude about life. When things were going well for him, 
he was saying, I shall not be moved, that, that my circumstances are kind of going to be the same for the rest of my life, that I have arrived at a point of security and a point of stability and a point of even invincibility that I will not be moved from this position that I'm in now. But such a view of life circumstances, I think, proved to David and oftentimes proves to us to, to be a view of life that is very short-sighted. That we think because things are going well now, maybe because we've come through a very difficult time in our life and we have survived that, that now there's going to be smooth sailing for the rest of our life. But it seems like for David, whatever that day of prosperity was, however long that period of time lasted in his life, that it didn't last forever, certainly, because suffering was just right around the corner. Even though we know, as David knows here in this psalm, and as he states very clearly elsewhere, we know that God, not ourselves, is the driving force behind whatever, quote, prosperity we may be enjoying. And even though we know that our circumstances can change overnight, that as we've already talked about this morning, we could leave here, I hope this doesn't happen to any of us, but we could leave this building here in a few hours and we could be in an accident that just totally turns our life upside down, that totally changes the trajectory of the rest of our life here on earth. We could contract some life-threatening illness or disease. We could lose our financial security overnight. And sometimes we might be like David in saying or thinking to ourselves, I shall not be moved when things are going well for us. And we can become overconfident in the way that life is right now. And in doing so, I think we are showing a lack of total trust in God because we have even maybe very slightly or very subtly, we have at least in our mind and our thinking begun to trust in ourselves and started to trust in our riches or our health or our position in life. Again, David doesn't give us a lot of details about what is going on here, so we have to maybe make some uh, assumptions here, but I'm not going to state this as fact, just for you, something for you to think about. It may very well be whatever David is experiencing here, a near-death experience in his life, that it that it may be that God allowed him to suffer during this particular period of his life, to discipline him in some way, maybe to get him to remember that he wasn't in control, even though he may have been king, that God was still in control to humble David in some way, to refocus his, uh, his perspective on life, maybe to strengthen David's faith in him. We know David is being a man of great strength, uh, great faith and great trust in God, don't we? But he's still a man. There, there are times in his life when his faith is strong, when his faith is deep, when he really trusts God completely and totally. But there are also other times in his life when it seems like his faith begins to wane. And whatever is going on here, whether God is allowing this to happen or God is causing this to happen, it seems like from reading the words of this psalm, as we'll see here in just a few moments, that David learned some of those lessons, that David did humble himself. David realized, I'm not in control. David realized that God was teaching him some very valuable lessons. It can be very easy, as we've already mentioned this morning, for us to be like David in the days of prosperity, can it? It can be easy for us to just kind of develop this independent 
attitude that we really don't need God as much right now as at other times in our life. We can even become arrogant people. We can lose our humility and we can forget who God is and forget who we are. We can become too secure in how good life is right now. But in those times in life, we need to remember that it may not last forever and it probably won't last forever. And when we get to those points in life, if it is moving us away from God rather than drawing us closer to him, God may allow us to suffer in some way so that he can teach us some valuable lessons. He can give us some reminders of who he is and who he wants us to be. So that seems to me anyway to be perhaps David's attitude before he suffered. I want us to think about David's attitude while he suffered and to look here at the end of verse 7 down through verse 10. Uh, He says at the end of verse 7 to God that you hid your face and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. So while David is suffering through this this period in his life, uh, God, at least David thinks, that God has hidden his face from him, that, that God is not taking notice of what David is experiencing in his life at this particular point. And this disturbed David as he says there at the end of verse 7, you hid your face and I was dismayed. We, we know about David that there was a, a, a very close relationship that existed between David and God, don't we? <laughs> David, of course, again, wasn't a perfect man. That, that uh, he had, as we just mentioned a moment ago, he had a great faith in God. At times, just like for all of us, we may feel closer to God or nearer to him than at other points in our life. But at this particular point as he is suffering, it seems like he is convinced that God really isn't taking notice. And maybe that is a result of David feeling like he has removed himself from God. Uh, A preacher friend of mine has done some lessons about where is God when I heard is kind of the title of that series. And he made the point as I listened to those a number of years ago. He said that when we are dealing with some tragedy, some trial in our life that we can always be assured that God hasn't moved. God is always where God has always been. He is on his throne. He is reigning over heaven and earth. But sometimes in those moments in our life, we are the ones that have moved away from God. God hasn't moved away from us, but we have removed ourselves from him. We are not as close to him as we used to be. And it may be that David is experiencing that in his life at this point. I notice what he said perhaps early on in his suffering when he prayed to God here at verse 9. He is basically saying, I think, to, to Jehovah, if you let me die, what good is that going to accomplish? Uh, if you let me die, what benefit is that to you? In fact, it will really be, I think he's saying to God, uh, not a benefit, but you will lose a voice on earth. You will lose one who is trying to be your faithful servant. You will lose a voice in your earthly chorus of praise if you allow me to die. That may seem to, again, to be an arrogant thing, an arrogant thought on David's part, and maybe maybe you read it that way. I kind of look at it differently, like it seems to me like before he was suffering, he was all thinking about himself and how he was in control of life. And now as he is in this particular period of suffering, that his focus is beginning to shift from himself himself to God. And he's thinking about God and God's glory. Uh, 
and how this would impact him. Do we ever feel that way when we are suffering some difficulty in our life? Well, if we do, we need to realize that God doesn't need us. God is still God, even if we make the decision that we're going to walk away from him and we're not going to praise him and thank him and exalt him by the life that we live. God is still God, but it's very much the case that we need God. And I think David was beginning to come to that realization just how much he needed God, not only in this portion of his life, but in every day of his life. I think about the words of John the Baptist. You might be thinking about this as well from Matthew chapter 3. You know, when John the Baptist was out there in the wilderness preaching the message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and the scribes and the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders were coming to him and they were saying to John, we want to be baptized by you as well. And John said, well, wait a minute, (laughs) you need to repent first. He knew what kind of people these were that were coming. He knew that they needed to make a commitment to a changed life. And he says really to them, you're nothing special that God, even from these stones, can raise up children of Abraham. And I think maybe the same is true as we think about David's words here to God. You know, what profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? We need to remember, David needed to remember that God could raise up from these stones people to praise him. In verse 10, it seems to me that David is praying again, but now he has been humbled by his suffering. And he realizes that he is powerless to change his earthly circumstances But he also realizes that God is powerful to change his circumstances, but also to change him. He says there again at verse 10, Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. He is requesting God's gracious care and help for him. When we suffer, if we look at suffering correctly in our lives, whatever that suffering is, whether we think it's small or great or somewhere in between, Our attitude toward God ought to change. And our attitude toward ourselves ought to change. Our outlook on life ought to change. In fact, if we let God's will be done in our lives during that time of suffering, we will change. We will not be the same person that we were before that particular trial came along in our life. We will be a different person. We will have a different perspective on life. We will look at God differently. Hopefully we will be closer to Him our faith will be increased. And ultimately, if we do that while we suffer in life, that will bring glory and honor to God, which seems to me here to be David's thought. Thirdly, let's look at David's attitude after he suffered. If you go back and and look again at verses uh, 1 through 5, but also verses 11 and 12, he says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Just think about David's attitude now compared to what his attitude was before this period of suffering in his life, even as he's experiencing that suffering as he's beginning to change. Here he is praising God for his help, for his healing, 
thanking God for not providing an occasion for his enemies to rejoice in his death. Again, verses one and two, you have not let my enemies rejoice over me. I cried to you for help and you healed me. He is giving all the credit to God for changing his circumstance. Notice here that he was urging other godly ones, other saints to join him in praise and thanks there at verse four. He says, sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. This certainly is a personal matter that he is addressing here as he is talking to God. This is something that he personally experienced in his life that he was near to death. But now he's opening it up to others who may have experienced the same thing, others who are trying to be faithful servants of God as well. Verse 5, he came to the point where he saw suffering as being temporary. He says, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Verse 11, he understood that God was the one who changed him. And then verse 12 again, he was resolved to praise God for the rest of his days. So although David's attitude may not have been exactly what it should have been before he experienced this time of trial in his life, after he had come through that that period of suffering and and God had helped him through that, he came out, it seems to me, with a stronger, deeper faith in God. And so it must be, again, for us that while we are experiencing suffering in our life, even after that suffering has passed, Sometimes we may be so concerned about trying to figure out all the the whys behind that. (laughs) And I don't know that we are capable of doing that unless God tells us, you know, specifically, this is why this has happened in your life. We may be so consumed with like trying to say, is this God doing this or has God allowed this? Is this Satan working in my life? Is it just because I live in a world that has basically turned their back on God and sin is running rampant? But rather than devoting all of our time and attention and energy and thoughts to that, I think it would serve us well if we do what David is doing here and to see what have I learned from this? (laughs) How has this helped me in my walk with God? What has this taught me about God? What has this taught me about myself? What has this taught me about the purpose of life as to why I am here? And it will help us to be more like God. It will refine us and it will help us to focus on things that are truly important things that are eternal. Well, finally, I want us to think about David's hope and suffering, and that is God's favor in his life. Notice there again at verse five, he says about God, for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. And then the the beginning of verse seven, he says, O Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain to stand strong. David again learns something from suffering, I think he learned a lot of things. But one thing he learned is this, that God's favor or God's good pleasure in contrast to his anger is for a lifetime, that his anger is just for a moment. Certainly we, we can see as we read through the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, we can see lots of examples of God's wrath, of God's anger being on display toward those who are not his people, but sometimes to his own people because they had sinned against him and they had refused to come back to him. But David says his anger is just for a moment. But his favor, his grace toward us is for a lifetime. God's favor gave David strength to stand, even as he suffered. Again, the first part of verse 7, O Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain 
to stand strong. Because God's anger is momentary and his good pleasure is permanent, we can endure suffering of all kinds. Whatever it is that we have to endure in this life, we can endure that knowing that it's only going to last for the night, as he says here at the end of verse 5, before a shout of joy comes in the morning. I know we're really out of time this morning. I think I had less <laughs> time to speak, uh, which is fine. But very quickly, I want us to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Maybe you're already thinking about this passage at the end of that chapter. 2 Corinthians 4, and we'll end by reading these few verses here at verse 16. After Paul has already said in the preceding verses, you know, we, have, we are like verse eight, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. All of these different persecutions and sufferings that he experienced for being a Christian. Here was his conclusion to all of that in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. Therefore, he says, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal. David's outer man, he felt like in this Psalm, Psalm 30 was perishing but he knew that his inner man was being renewed with God. And he knew that he was the recipient, the, the beneficiary, if you will, of God's favor in his life. We're all going to suffer at some point in some ways in our life. When we suffer, let's remember that that suffering is just for a night. And joy comes in the morning. Let's keep our perspective right about those things. Let's be dismissed to our classes now.